0: Well, good morning, everyone. We are glad that you are with us today. Today is the fifth and final week of a series, and the title of the series is called Real Mature. Now, if you're just joining us, whether it be in the room or watching online, the series is all about developing our faith. I believe that if you understand how a person's faith grows... And if you're really intentional in leveraging these practices, then you can experience a kind of growth in your faith that will actually make you real mature. And that's what I want for you. I want every single one of you to go through life having a big faith in a great God. And so before this series ends, before we wrap it up today, I want to ask you a question about your faith. And I want you just to be honest with yourself as you think about this question. Here it is. How does your faith make a real difference in your life? How does your faith actually make a real difference in your life? So think about faith in this way. I believe that faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he has promised to do. And so when you think about your faith, He is who he says he is. He will do what he has promised to do. How does your faith make a real difference in your life? You see, I really do believe that if our faith was real mature or if we had a big faith in a great God, then it would change our lives in many different ways. I believe that our anxiety levels would go down. I believe that we would all probably sleep a lot better at night. I believe that we would make better decisions and have fewer regrets because we would stop questioning what God has said and we would just start doing what God has said. I believe that our lives would go from being ordinary to being extraordinary. Like, Just go read Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. It's a whole chapter that's all about how faith caused people to live extraordinary lives rather than ordinary lives. And so when you think about your own faith, let me ask you again, how does your faith make a real difference in your life? When it comes to things like temptation, how does your faith make a real difference in your life? Do do you just rationalize why you do what you do or do you just do what God has told you to do when you face temptation? When it comes to tragedy, When you experience tragedy in your marriage, tragedy in your family of another kind, tragedy in your finances, tragedy in your health, tragedy in your life of any kind, how does your faith make a difference in your life in the midst of tragedy? Does tragedy cause you to take matters into your own hands or does tragedy cause you to get down on your knees and put that tragedy into God's hands? Does tragedy cause you to say, I've got to go to work and fix all of this or does it cause you to turn to God and say, God, I need you to fix all of this. Students, when it comes to rejection in your life, whether you're rejected by that girl or that guy that was so hot, or whether you were rejected by your peers or your classmates or your teammates. How do you handle that rejection? Does your faith really make a difference in your life? Because I think there are a lot of students who probably feel rejection and they feel abandoned by God. Or may they, maybe they feel like when God made them, God made a mistake. But over the course of my life, I learned the hard way that rejection is God's protection over my life. I've seen it happen so many times and yet there are a lot of students who are walking through life and they don't understand that rejection really is God's protection over your life. And so your faith isn't really making a difference in your life. And so what I want for you is I want you to have a big faith in a great God. But listen, God doesn't just want you to have faith. He wants you to have a kind of faith that actually makes a real difference in your life. And so this series, we've been looking at the five ways in which a person's faith actually grows in God. And today we're coming to the fifth and the final one. I'll just say this. If you have missed any of these messages, go back, hop online, hop on our app, and get caught up so that you can have a faith that grows in a really big God. Today I wanna talk to you about the fifth way, though, in which our faith grows. And this is just called practical Bible teaching. So the New Testament teaches us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when you come into this room week after week or when you tune in online week after week, th- there is something that happens. We always go to this book for the vast majority of our service time. And we live in this book because the Bible says in the New Testament that faith in God, it comes from hearing And hearing comes through the word of God. And I really do believe that this right here is why so many people love Mosaic Church. Because what they hear on the weekend actually has implications for how you live your life during the week. A lot of us grew up in church where the Bible was taught. But the Bible was taught in a way it gave us all kinds of information And it gave us very little application for our lives. And so when the Bible was taught, they would say, well, let me just tell you about the author who wrote this book. And let me tell you about the audience that they were writing to. And let me tell you about the historical context of the Roman government at that time. And let me tell you how many times this particular word is used in the New Testament or in the entire Bible. And you sat under teaching. But the teaching that you heard, it was full of information and not a whole lot of application where you were left understanding how what we talk about in here has implications for how you live out there. Okay, so there's a guy in our church, his name, I call him Mr. Z because his last name is Zipper, and that's a little hard for me to say for whatever reason. It's a problem with me, but but Mr. Z invited me a couple of years ago to come out to the high school and talk to his world religion class. Okay, Um, my daughter was in that class and Mr. Z said, hey, you think your dad would come and talk to us about the Christian faith? And my daughter, of course, said, oh yeah, my dad will come and talk about (laughs) the Christian faith, and so she signed me up for that job, and so I went out there, had a great time uh, in Mr. Z's class, but I remember, I don't even remember what I was really talking about, but I do remember that there was a girl on my left-hand side who raised her hand right in the middle of my presentation and interrupted me, and I said, you got a question? She goes, oh yeah, I got a question. How is it that I've been in church all my life, and I've never heard the kinds of things that you're talking about? And it broke my heart and let me tell you I hear that question a lot because there are a lot of people who are in church every week and they're listening to the Bible being taught and it's being taught in a way that is absolutely full of all kinds of information but again not a lot of application. I had a preaching professor named Dr. Danny Aiken. He said, if you're going to teach the Bible in a way that causes people's faith to grow, you've got to know this. When you teach, you keep one foot in the Bible, and then you keep the other foot in the real world. Because the Bible should be practical in terms of how we live our lives in the real world. What we say in here should actually have implications for how we live out there. In fact, this is exactly what you see in Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, the most common name that people referred to him by was the word rabbi, which simply means teacher. Jesus was an incredible Bible teacher, but his Bible teaching was incredibly practical. Okay, so just think about the Sermon on the Mount, okay? I can't cover all of his teachings, but let's just take one sermon. Jesus climbs up on a mountaintop. He sits down, crowds all around him. He says, I'm gonna talk to you and I'm gonna teach you in what is the Sermon on the Mount. If you listen to the Sermon on the Mount, what you'll discover is that Jesus spends a little bit of time, and I mean a little bit of time, talking about what he wants you to know. And he spends a whole lot of time talking about what he wants you to do. Okay, so Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you need to be a peacemaker. That's not something he wants you to know. That's something that he wants you to do. Jesus said, I want you to be merciful to other people. That's something that he wants you to do. He said, I want you to be salt and light. I want you to be salt in a world that is decaying. And I want you to be light in a world that is growing dark. That's not what he wants you to know. That, that is all about what Jesus wants you to do with your life. Okay, G- Jesus goes on in Sermon on the Mount. He talks about relationships. And as he talks about relationships, he's about what does he want you to do in those relationships? How are you supposed to treat other people? How are you supposed to interact? What are the principles by which you're supposed to manage these relationships? So in that Segment of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about hatred and how that's something you're never supposed to do. He talks about murder. He talks about lust and adultery. He talks about divorce and marriage. He talks about keeping your promises. He talks about offering forgiveness. He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about being generous to people in need. Then he talks about your relationship with God and he talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He talks about generously investing in kingdom causes and the work that God is doing in the world. And all of that is in one sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is just constantly, constantly talking about what he wants you to do, not what he wants you to know. Now, the question is, why? Why is it? That Jesus spends so much time talking about what he wants you to do. Is Jesus a rule keeper? Is Jesus the kind of guy who's like, all right, in order for God to love you, I need you to know what you're supposed to do so that you can keep all the rules and so that God might love you in your life? No, that that is not what that is about. Why does Jesus do it? Is Jesus legalistic? Absolutely not. In fact, Jesus was in constant conflict with the people of his day who were legalistic. So why is it that Jesus is so obsessed with telling us what to do? Because he wants your faith to grow. Listen to me very carefully. When you start to do what he has asked you to do you will start to realize that his way is far better than your way. This is not about legalism. This isn't about trying to earn God's favor by keeping all the rules. This is all about faith. Because when you actually start to do what he has told you to do, then you will start to realize that his way really is better than your own way. And your faith starts to grow. Your faith grows in his word or in his teachings. Your faith will start to grow in his plan. You'll start to compare the plan that you had for your life against the plan that he has for your life. And you'll go, you know what? I think that his plan for my life is actually better than my own plan for my life. And so your faith in his plan will start to grow. Your faith in his wisdom will start to grow because you'll start reading this book and you'll start listening to the practical Bible teaching. And then you'll go out there and you will put what he has said to the test and you will start to think to yourself, wow, the the wisdom in this book is so invaluable because it is the exact opposite of everything the world tells you to do. It really is. I don't care what you think about. Think about sex. Think about money. Think about power. Think about marriage. Think about every aspect of life. And what you'll discover is that the wisdom in this book contradicts The wisdom that you hear from the world. And so when you actually test it, when you actually do it, when you actually put it into practice, your faith starts to grow. For most of us, a lot of us, we are reluctant to trust him as the leader of our lives because we're stubborn. We like to learn the hard way. And so what we do is we go and we beat our head against that cinder block wall. And all we experience in life is pain and no progress. And after we do that for a while, we step back with a headache and we go, you know what? Maybe I should try it his way rather than my way. And when we put it to the test we actually see that what he told us to do works. And as a result, our faith in him, our faith in his teachings, our faith in his wisdom, it all starts to grow and we start to trust our heavenly father more and more and more. All because we put it into practice. Okay, th- this is why Jesus said what he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 and 25. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So they hear his words and they put them into practice. But not everyone does that. That's why Jesus had to say what he said in the next two verses. Verses 26 and 27. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Not the rock, the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. The difference between the two groups of people. Think about this. Large crowd, a lot of people who are listening right now, a lot of people who are watching online. But Jesus seems to suggest that while it's one group, there's actually two groups of people. There are some who will hear the words of Jesus and they'll put them into practice They'll do what he says to do. And there are other people in the same crowd who hear the words of Jesus, who hear the teachings of Jesus, who hear the wisdom of Jesus, but they do not put it into practice. And Jesus says their life falls with a great crash. And this right here is why we are always going to be a church that's committed to practical Bible teaching. Because Jesus wants good things for your life and he knows that this is what will grow Your faith. And so today what I want to do, I want to take you to the book of James, James chapter one, where James is actually going to talk about this very issue that Jesus was talking about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, James is writing to Christians who have been scattered in all kinds of nations all around the world. And this is what he said to them, James chapter one, verses 21 through 25. He said this, therefore, get rid of of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you it can save your relationship with God it can save your marriage it can save your wayward kids it can save you a whole lot of headache it can save you a whole lot of heartache it has the potential to save you in all kinds of ways and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, James is simply trying to make the point that there is a major difference between people who hear the teachings of the Bible and people who actually do something with the teachings of the Bible. And so he starts by saying, here's what I want for you. I want you to get rid of all the moral filth in your life. I want you to get rid of the evil that is present in the world around you. But James doesn't just tell us what to do. James actually tells us how to do it. He says, I want you to humbly accept the word that has been planted in you. So when you come, when you sit under practical Bible teaching, there is a need for humility, no pride. No room for pride when we sit in here and we sit under the teachings of the Bible and we humbly accept the word that has been planted in us. So I want you to think about this image. okay? when you come to church, the expectation is that you would sit under the Bible teaching that would be taught in a very practical way, in a way that addresses to use James's words in James chapter one the moral filth that exists in all of our lives, mine included. The Bible teaching needs to confront the evil things that exist in our world and in our lives. And so when the teachings of Jesus then get planted in us, the expectation is that those teachings would not inform you. The expectation is that those teachings would transform you. But listen, That will not happen simply because you sat in church. James says it's a two-step process. You absolutely have to listen to it. But then you have to do something about it. Sitting in church is not enough to bring about the transformation That we really need in our lives. And so I want you to just think about both parts with me. Let's just start with that first part. What does it look like to listen? to it. Um, This last week, uh, I got a buddy who sent me a text message, and he just loves ribbing me every chance he gets. And so he sends me this text message. It's got this picture of people who are sitting in church, and this is what it looks like. I'll throw it up on the screen. This is what you are doing when you're listening to the sermon, okay? This is what you think you look like, okay? But this is what you actually look like from my perspective, okay? You got old Bernie up there with his mask and his mittens on. And when I saw that picture, I laughed And then I thought to myself, there is a big difference between sitting in church and really listening to a message. This is why just two verses earlier, James said this. He said, you need to be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Now, a lot of us hear that verse we're very familiar with it and we think, "Oh, that's a random passage that's just teaching us about how to manage the anger in our lives or the struggle with anger in our lives." And yet, in its context, James is actually tying that thought about listening carefully to this thought about the words of Jesus being planted in our lives. And so, in order for us to really benefit from practical Bible teaching, we have to be quick to listen and slow to speak. The problem for all of us is that we are quick to speak and we are really, really slow to listen. And James's point is that that makes it really hard for practical Bible teaching to get into or to get planted into your life. And I think there are a lot of reasons why it's so difficult for us to listen in the world today. Okay? I think that one of the reasons that it's hard for us to listen is because we talk way too much. I think this is a struggle for a lot of us. I think another reason that we struggle to listen is because media has absolutely destroyed our attention span. And so you live in a world and I live in a world where when we watch television, the image is changing every five seconds. Because your attention span has been depleted that much. Alex Honnold recently said it's kind of scary to think about the fact that the greatest minds in our world are now all hanging out in Silicon Valley trying to figure out how to distract you in your everyday life. This is what the social media industry is all about. How can we leverage social media just to keep people distracted from things that really matter while they just scroll through a feed about things that really don't matter at all? And so our attention span has been absolutely destroyed. And so you come in here and now, listen, I know it's hard. And so you come in here and you're trying to listen and focus for 35 or 40 minutes at a time. And you're not asked to do that anywhere else unless you're a student in school. And so our attention span has been depleted. I think another reason we're terrible listeners is because we're prideful. And we think we already know it all. We think you're really probably not going to say anything to me that I don't already know. And so we're prideful and we don't see the value Of this book and these teachings. I think another reason that we are terrible listeners is because we latch on to things that are said or done in a service that we don't like or that we don't agree with. And then here's what we do. We have mental arguments in our mind for the rest of the service and we don't hear anything else that's said. Well, I didn't like that song. And I'm not sure that that's theologically accurate. And then we spend the next 45 minutes kind of debating that in our own minds and constructing our argument, and we don't hear anything else that's said. Or maybe that's just how I sit in church. I don't know about you, but, but these are some of the reasons that I think it's really, really hard for people to listen. There's probably many more. And yet, the ancient rabbis, they talk to their students all the time about how important listening really is. In fact, this is what they used to tell their students. So there is a reason that we have two ears and only one mouth. A lot of you have heard that before. You just didn't know where it came from. It came from ancient rabbis who, who are teaching their students about the, important of, the importance of listening to their teacher. It says there's a reason we have two ears and only one mouth that we may hear more and speak less. I love this last part. They say the ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction. But the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and keep it within proper bounds. This is the way in which God has physically made us ears, two of them that are always open. A mouth, one of them that is not only closed at times, but it has a double row of teeth. To kind of hedge that tongue in because the tongue should not be used near as much as the ears. And so let me just ask you are you a good listener? And if you're like me, the answer is probably not. My wife tells me I have two major faults. She says I'm a terrible listener. And then I didn't catch the other thing that she said because I wasn't listening. (laughs) Now, listen, let me just say, you guys are much better. The Thursday night service barely even laughed at that (laughs) joke, okay? I'm kidding, but I will say this. My wife recently told me, Brandon, you need to learn to listen with your face. I said, well, what do you mean by that? She says, you're missing out on all kinds of things that your son's trying to tell you because you're listening, but you're not looking. She said, Brandon, you need to learn to listen to our son with your face. And let me say this, this is so hard for us. It was hard for them in the first century. And watch this, they lived in an oral culture. We don't live in an oral culture. We live in a visual culture. And so if this was a challenge for them, Just think about what a challenge it would be for us who are living in a very different kind of culture. And so when we come and we sit under under practical Bible teaching several things, we've got to eliminate distractions, probably need to try to listen with our face. We need to read along in our Bibles or we need to follow along in the Mosaic app with all of the notes, because what that does is it keeps us engaged in what is being said so that increases listening and the teachings of Jesus really do get implanted into our lives. Let me say this, for those who watch online, this is even more difficult for you because you are dealing in your home environment with distractions at two, three, four, five times as many distractions as those of us who are in the room right now. And so last night I was outside, I was letting our dog use the bathroom in the yard, and one of my neighbors that comes to the church was coming down the road and they stopped and they talked to me for a little bit. And they said, we were at church last week for the first time in eight months. And I said, man, I'm so glad you were back. How was it? They said it was absolutely incredible. Um, Because of his job, um, he has to do a lot of social distancing, can't be in large crowds of people. Um, And so when he came, he actually went into the overflow room on the other side of the building, just to make sure that he wasn't around a really large crowd of people. And so I said to him, I said, well, how did that work? I mean, Honestly, is that even all that much different than sitting at home and watching online? I mean, you're watching it on video. He said, oh, it was way better than sitting at home because we were able to check our kids in to mow kids environment. And then we were able to actually sit and worship and learn and listen without the constant distraction of little children in the home. And so if you're watching online, this is much, much harder. And so it requires that you are much, much more intentional so that you can truly listen to the practical Bible teaching that will grow your faith. Now, know this. That's only half the battle. Because what did James say? James said that it's not just about listening. It's also about doing Look back in verse 22. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so there are a lot of people who are deceived. They're deceived into thinking everything's okay in my life because I go to church. Everything's going to be okay for me and my family. Because we go and we listen to practical Bible teaching. Look what he says in verses 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And so part of the value of practical Bible teaching is that it increases self-awareness in your life. It helps you to see things in your life that you really do need to see. Or I might even say it like this it helps you see things in your life that everyone else already sees. That's a scary thought. When I go and look at the mirror and I see something on my face or I see something in my teeth, I go, wow, I wonder how long I've been walking around looking like that. I wonder how many other people have seen what I couldn't see. And this is James' point, man. Like you're walking through life, and not only are there things that you need to see in your life, there are things that you need to see in your life that everyone else already sees. And when we look into this book, it is eye-opening. It is a wake-up call. And yet, there are a lot of people who never look in this book. And so what do they do? Let me tell you, they compare themselves to the lowest common denominator. They compare themselves to the Hitlers of their world. Because it makes them feel better about themselves. They compare themselves to people who don't have the struggles that they have. And so they feel as though I'm okay in my life. And they are, to use James words, they are deceived. But when you look into this book, when you sit under practical Bible teaching, where we address the moral filth in our lives and the evil in all of our lives, then instead of comparing ourselves to the lowest common denominator, now we're comparing ourselves to Jesus, who is the highest common denominator and all of a sudden we go from feeling really great about ourselves to actually seeing ourselves for who we really are seeing the things in our lives that need to change the areas in our lives where we need to grow and James says that when we do it that's when we benefit that's when our faith will actually start to grow because as we put it into practice that's when we realize that his way really is better than our way it really is to use james's words the watch this perfect law that gives freedom my ways are not perfect and my ways do not produce freedom they create frustration and james says when you put it into practice when you actually do it you'll start to experience real freedom you'll experience freedom from guilt and shame, freedom from regret and brokenness. And then he says, and when we continue in it, not forgetting what we have heard, but doing it, he says, we are blessed in what we do. And so let me end by asking you this. What has Jesus told you to do in your life that you are not currently doing? What has Jesus told you to do in your life that you're not currently Currently doing. And I want to challenge you to do it, not because you're legalistic, but because this is putting Him to the test so that your faith in Him will actually grow. And so, what's your next step? That's the language that we use around here at Mosaic. Why? Because practical Bible teaching should always lead you to a next step in your faith journey. And so, here's what I want to do I want to ask you um, just to going to take a deep breath and I want you to bow your heads and I want to enter into this time of like prayer and reflection and what I'm going to do for you right now is I'm going to walk you back through the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to reflect for about three or four minutes on what Jesus has told us to do. And I just want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit impress on you. Right there it is. That, that's what I've told you to do that you are not currently doing. And let the Holy Spirit help you see where you're not putting his teachings into practice. Here we go. Jesus told us to be peacemakers. And so let me ask you, do you create peace or do you create conflict? Or maybe there's a conflict and you need to insert yourself to create peace. Maybe it's conflict between two people that you care about And you feel like the Holy Spirit is nudging you right now going, man, you need to get involved and say, I care too much about the relationship between you two to just let this thing fall apart. Or maybe the conflict is between you and another person. And Jesus is just saying, be a peacemaker. Be the bigger person. Take initiative to create peace. Jesus said, I want you to be merciful to other people. There were many, many years in my life where if I were sitting in your seat, I know the Holy Spirit would have said, Brandon, be merciful to your kids. I I wasn't a very merciful father because I wanted my kids to get it right. But what happened in the process is they heard their daddy talk about mercy and grace, but it was a foreign concept in the home. It was something that they probably saw in their heavenly father, but they didn't see it in their earthly father. And yet Jesus says, be merciful to other people. He talks about hatred. Is there someone that you need to stop hating? Talked about lust and adultery. So is there a behavior of lust or a relationship that has formed that needs to stop? He talked about divorce. And so let me ask you, has paperwork been filed? Have the lawyers been called? I am not the Holy Spirit. I don't know your situation. I don't know what he did or what she did, but I do want you to process it with Jesus. It may be that you need to go back and read Matthew chapter 5 verses 31 and 32 just to hear what Jesus said about divorce in the Sermon on the Mount. It's only two verses. It may be that instead of serving your spouse with papers, you need to invite them to our marriage event on February 4th, where you pray over your marriage and you listen to another couple talk about how they survived hardships in their own marriage. Just do what he tells you to do. His way is better than your way. He talks about keeping your promises. Have you made a promise that you haven't kept? Talks about offering forgiveness. Is there someone that you need to forgive? He talks about loving your enemies and praying for people who persecute you. He talks about being generous to people in need. Jesus taught us about prayer and fasting. Fasting may be a spiritual practice that maybe you've never done in your life. Maybe you want to try it. Jesus talked about investing financially in kingdom causes. When you think about your finances and what you give to kingdom causes, are you doing what Jesus has asked you to do? For some of you, your next step is to actually put your faith in Jesus Christ to ask him to forgive your sins, to trust him to lead your life so that you can grow in these areas and ultimately grow in your faith in the process. If that's you, just right now, say, Jesus, I'm asking you, trusting you to forgive my sins and to lead my life. You see, when you start to do what he has actually asked you to do, it will grow your faith. Because one step at a time, one practice at a time, you will start to surrender to him more and more because you trust him more and more. God, I pray that we would do what you've told us to do and I pray it would grow our faith and I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.